you can only be confident internally when you can control the mind and your emotional state to a point where you can see the truth clearly. All right, so welcome back. This is the Way of the Seal, principle number eight. Think offense all the time. Think offense all the time. So what I've seen a lot in business is a passive or almost a defensive attitude. And of course, as you can appreciate in the SEALs, passivity or defensiveness would get you killed or at a minimum lead to, you know, failure of the mission or suboptimal results. And um, of course, you know, the business world is starting to look a lot like a SEAL battlefield. It's VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, and you have to have an offensive mindset to navigate those environments. And so this whole chapter was to try to get uh, the reader and you to think offensively all the time. Now, that doesn't mean you have to become a jerk or overly aggressive and plow over people. It really is about how you deal with decision-making with total confidence, with you know, expanded awareness, you know, beginning with what we've talked about in chapter uh, last uh, Principle seven, learning how to act unconventionally by doing the unexpected, overcoming those biases and leading with rapid execution, fail forward, fast mentality. Let's start by talking about confidence. You know, I I know a lot of folks mistake a feeling of being in control or security for confidence. In fact, you can't control anything and nothing is really secure and being attached to any outcome whatsoever is uh, a false indicator of confidence, a false flag. Unwavering confidence only comes with uh, developing a mindset of resiliency where you've let go of any expectation as to the results that you're looking for, but you have a radical focus on the methods, the detail to the methods and your own training, and you're in control of your own body, mind, Uh, an emotional state as you execute. So you're making really, really good, refined, small decisions of those micro goals along the way. In this way, you're able to move forward very fast and every obstacle that comes your way, which is a potential failure point for somebody else, is an opportunity for you to refine your plan and to refine your operating model. And um, so unwavering confidence comes from managing the way you use your mind, not necessarily trying to control the outcome or having all these expectations, which can lead to disappointment. So controlling your mind requires that you become very clear about what words you're using to define your own internal state as well as the situation around you, and then lining up the attitude and the energy that you're feeling with those words. Uh, in the book, I tell a story of my SCARS training uh, with the SCARS founder, Jerry Peterson. SCARS is the Special Combat Aggressive Reactionary System, which is based off of Sansu Kung Fu that Jerry learned and taught to the SEALs back in the 90s. It's not taught anymore, but it's an extremely powerful system, in my humble opinion. And um, I was fortunate enough to be one of 300 trained as an instructor in it, and I trained for many years afterwards. And to this day, we run a program. Uh, with our friends at Injury Dynamics, um, 
in the same principles, but it's taught a little bit less aggressively, you know? So um, if you want information on that, you can check it out at sealfit.com. Uh, we're running a, uh, we run a seminar uh, once or twice a year now. So, but during that program, um, Jerry, you know, helped me understand that some of the words I was using and some of the attitudes I had picked up in karate um, were slowing me down and making me defensive. So, you know, karate is, a, is, even though it's a fighting warrior art, it's really about developing the mind and the character of the individual. And, you know, the fighting is, it takes 20 years really to really learn how to fight, at least the way I'm talking about for combat. And, um, and you can pick up a lot of bad habits. And so, you know, to be frank, Jerry told me that I had to unlearn that karate shit when I got into buzz and I had a black belt. And so what he really meant was stop thinking defensively and stop using words like defend and block or uh, retreat or try or maybe. And, you know, there's no maybe. There, do or do not, there is no try. So instead of defend, you attack. Instead of being good, you're great. Instead of blocking, you strike. Instead of retreating, you pounce. Instead of try, you do. Instead of maybe, it's definitely, right? And so when you begin to eradicate those words that are defensive and slow and soft and weak and replace it with powerful words. Then you light up the imagery associated with that powerful word and the emotions. That's when you start to feel the aggression, not the aggression, but the offensiveness and the confidence internally. Again, you can only be confident internal internally when you can control the mind and your emotional state to a point where you can see the truth clearly and make a as best a decision that's going to you know have a win 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 kind of outcome moment to moment and you've got a good relationship to time you're not stuck in a past state which will slow you down and you're not stuck in a future state of wanting and wishing and desiring some other outcome or attached to some outcome you're in the moment acting right with that fail forward fast mentality that's what we're talking about when you can meet every situation with that violence of action in the present mind state in control of the thoughts and the motion using words that are offensive and speed you up and give you confidence as opposed to words that slow you down and bleed off confidence. So that's a really cool thing. And so we're going to start and one of the exercises in the book is to start with examining the words that you use and the emotional energy associated with those. Next up, I, I mentioned in principle seven that, you know, part of our boo or background of obviousness are these mental biases. And I call them mental traps uh, in the book, in this principle. Mental trap is essentially a bias that causes us to close our mind to a situation because we're trapped in a pattern of thinking. And these can be cultural biases. Most of them are, but they also could be biases that come from the way your family thought or the way your language is used. So some of the biases that I mention in this book um, include, you know, avoiding things that you doubt or you don't believe rather than really investigating them. You know, SEALs learn that, hey, you know, just because you don't believe something doesn't mean it's not relevant or true. It certainly would be true for someone else. So especially when you're in a foreign country, you know, to, to even though you may doubt the way your uh, enemy thinks that you want to investigate it and learn everything you can about it. And sometimes you find that there's there's some truth there. And so you, you then can mold your own 
uh, belief system or thoughts around the combination of those ideas. So, but our bias is to avoid those things that we doubt or that turn us off rather than, you know, investigating them, studying them, looking at them deeply and learning from them. Another, you know, classic is uh, feeling that you owe something to someone who gives you something. People are always, you know, offering you something in the marketing sense these days. Like there's just a billion marketing messages, billion offers out there, a lot of uh, free information, free gifts, free this and free that. And in a sense, that's good to do as a marketer because it does elicit this reciprocity bias where all of a sudden you feel like you owe owe something in return. So, you know, just be aware of that when you're on the receiving end of it. You know, when the Hare Krishna hands you something at the airport, you know, they're looking for something in return. That's a form of manipulation. Another bias is that you believe that if something's good for a friend or a, a tribe member or a group that you are comfortable with, then it must be good for you too. It's like a herd mentality when it plays at a large scale. It might be good in certain cases for a business, right? Because you're going to get referrals or maybe, you know, you can sense a market opportunity if um, if something's working for someone else with a particular group. But then again, it may lead you off a cliff, right? Because what you have to offer you personally as an individual or you as a company is unique and distinct and um, it may appeal to a much broader audience or a different audience. Another one is like waiting for that social proof before acting. You know, this is probably good when you're an investor to get some sense of social proof because, you know, you could, you could throw a lot of money at ideas that are too early or, you know, the market passes them by. And so timing is critical. But when it comes to launching a product, you know, you need to, you need to work on the most viable you know, minimal viable product, I guess we call it minimal viable solution. Just get out there and get some feedback. Don't have to wait for, you know, social proof from the, you know, from the masses, just get out there and get some feedback and iterate and, and just continue to improve until all of a sudden what you got is uh, accepted by a large group and working. And then, you know, this one's classic, but a lot of people will cling to things that they have when they, you know, when it is um, irrelevant anymore, the market has passed by it's because you, you've, you've bought it, right? Um, this is classic in investing as well. People hold on all the way to the bottom. But, you know, you can do this with a product line. You know, we've done it ourselves in my business. I've got a, you know, my legacy business, which has just been really hard to give up or to kill because, you know, hey, there's some people who are earning revenue and as bringing in some revenue and people, you know, are relying on that income and it's hard to kind of cut that go. And the best business people, I got to admit, are ruthless with this. You know, Jack Wealth, every year used to cut away, you know, I think 20% or the bottom 10 or 20% of his businesses and even people, right? Um, so you don't get stuck on, on or, you know, cling to things even uh, just because you made an investment in them. Uh, another one, you know, I felt this in the military, but you have this bias that we're going to inflate the value of some authority figure or the veracity of some authority figure, whether it be a, a subject matter expert or a thought leader or a politician or, you know, an organizational leader, we're going to, we're going to accrue to them more authority or veracity than they deserve, right? Everyone's human. Everyone makes mistakes. And, you know, someone has to have, there's got to be proof and, and validity behind the words that they utter, you know, the, the information coming out of their mouth because they're subject to the same exact biases. And oftentimes uh, when you get that high up, um, 
and you surround yourself with people who think the same way and you stove, you're stove piped in your own little information silos, then, um, you know, the information or the way you think is actually, uh, stunted or, or, you know, not, not going to be accurate. So, you know, we really want to examine our mental traps. Um, I recommend the book thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. Now he won a Nobel peace prize or Nobel prize in economics, sorry, in 2002. And he talks about a lot of these biases and how our brain works in what he calls a system one and system two manner system. One are these spontaneous knee jerk, you know, um, what you might call intuitive, but I don't think it's intuitive. I think it's a patterned biased, um, reactionary, you know, through priming and through confirmation bias and these different biases. And then our system two is our slower, rational decision, judging mind. They both work together hand in hand, but we can be led a lot, uh, in the, in a lot of wrong directions if we don't analyze and, and be aware of the different biases. Uh, Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's partner is another one who's written on tendency. He calls them tendencies. And if you Google, uh, Charlie Munger's tendencies, you're going to get some really interesting responses on what those tendencies are. There's a fantastic chart that examines biases. So if you just Google mental bias and you'll come up with this really nice chart that was put together by some folks and put out to the world. And um, I wish I had the, the name of the author right now, but it's not in front of me. And, um, you know, but you can print that out and put it up in your desk and you see there's like literally hundreds of different biases that fall in different categories and they've arranged them all. So you can study that. Hey folks, Mark here. Listen up, I've got a secret weapon for you to make your working out and training more efficient and to get better results and faster. It's called the Halo Sport, and I love this tool. Simply put, training with a Halo Sport allows you to develop your muscle memory faster. The headset applies electrostimulation to your brain's motor cortex to induce a temporary state of hyperlearning. How cool is that? That means you're going to get better results faster from anything that you do where you need to learn by moving, such as your Silfit Wad, martial arts training, yoga, Tai Chi, or even running. Now, I interviewed Halo's CEO, Dr. Daniel Chow, a while back, and I was really impressed by his team and this underlying technology, the science of transcranial direct current stimulation or TDCS, which has over 15 years of scientific and military research behind it. I now personally use Halo Sport for many of my high intensity wads and when I do my Tai Chi training where I'm trying to learn some new form. When I train my movements with the Halo Sport, I do learn faster and I get more precision and I feel I can perform more aggressively. Halo Sport's already being used extensively in the military special operations communities. And from my SEAL friends, I've heard that they get great results. It's also used by many pro athletes, Olympians, and thousands of lifelong athletes just like you and I. So in my mind, Halo Sport is the ideal training tool for those like you who want to exceed your training goals. To learn more about the Halo Sport, go to haloneuro.com. That's H-A-L-O. N-E-U-R-O.com. And you can use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, all one word, UNBEATABLEMIND at checkout to get this awesome product for $475, which is $275 off of the retail price. Again, haloneuro.com. Use the code UNBEATABLEMIND. You won't be disappointed. This 
is a great tool. All right, let's get back to the show. Hoo ya. All right, uh, think offense all the time requires that we're always on guard or always scanning our environment to make sure that whatever uh, threats and opportunities are out there, you're picking them up. So, you know, obviously an organization will do this by, by frequently doing the SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But at an individual level, what I'm talking about here is training yourself to use the Cooper color system and to activate your radar. What do I mean by this? Well, the Cooper color, color system was created by Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Cooper, who was an army guy. And he liked to say that, you know, we can do our threat awareness in a color-coded manner. And each color represented a state of awareness that elevated as you went, you know, as the colors changed. So essentially, white is a state of non-awareness or ignorance. A good percentage of people in the world are in white, meaning they, they walk around completely ignorant of their environment, unaware of what's happening around them, not able to see patterns and, and recognize threats and opportunities. Uh, we call those sheep, right? To use the sheepdog metaphor. So the warrior and the warrior leader in the way of the seal, we don't ever want to be in white. We want to recognize if we're going to be in white, what that looks like and, and to get out of it. So instead, we want to always be in a state of yellow. A state of yellow is normal for us, meaning we're, we're going about our daily business. We're training, we're, you know, we're, we're working, we're coordinating, we're communicating, we're relating, we're doing our thing. But we're also simultaneously scanning the environment everywhere we go to just assess it for threats and opportunities. Um, for me, this looks like, you know, if I go to a restaurant with my family or, you know, with some of my team, I'll scan, you know, what's happening outside the restaurant. I'll look at the cars. I'll look at the people. If there's any, I'll kind of feel into the, into the situation. Okay. Everything's good. Then we go into the environment. I'll do a quick scan there. I'll look at the, uh, for the exits. I'll look where the bathroom is, and then I'll find a table or ask for a table where I can sit away from the door and keep my eye on it with my back to the wall. And so I, I you know, it's an ongoing thing. I, I just, can't sit with my back to the door and I won't allow myself to. And so I'm always like racing for the chair, you know, that where I can sit, where I can see the door and then I get, have a good time. But at the same time, you know, I got one eyelid open looking at the door and if something happens, something strange happens, like if this, you know, someone bursts through the door with a weapon, that's the most extreme. Then I automatically elevate to red, which is, you know, extreme action, but it could be something that just seems off. And so it could be like a, a guy comes to the door and aggressively walks toward me. And then I go into what's called orange. Orange is focused awareness. I'm like, now I'm really, really focused on this as a possible threat. I haven't taken action yet because that's red, but I'm not in yellow anymore either where I'm just scanning. Now I've got a target to look at. And this guy might come toward me and then veer right and go to the bathroom. And it turns out he just literally had to go to the bathroom really bad. Okay, whew, now I go back to, to yellow, threat is over, but you know, it could go another way. So that's orange where you've got a target and you're watching it closely and you're ready to go to red. And so red then is, okay, I got to take immediate action. And you know, if it's an altercation, this is fisticuffs or, you know, you're, you're taking defensive or offensive maneuvers. If it's a threat to your business, then you, you take action immediately. You don't wait. You know, as I'm reading this, um, I'm thinking about Facebook and, you know, the, the knowledge or the information that, you know, they were complicit in, you know, the, the mining of 50 million user accounts that were used by a political campaign. It's nothing that you don't think happened before because it did. It probably did multiple times. 
but now it's all of a sudden out, right? And instead of you know responding, because that's a red signal for Facebook. That's like red, red, red. Instead of you know reacting to it like red, they reacted to it like you know white, and you didn't hear at all from Zuckerberg for five days. And so a lot of trust in Facebook has been destroyed. And you know even the founder of WhatsApp, which is bought by Facebook, was out there saying, "Hey, delete Facebook. We're done with this." You know they'll probably survive. It's such a massive organization, but man, a lot of trust has been lost in that platform as a means for good. You know because of the way they've responded to privacy issues and, and all the downsides. They have not done well with that. All right. So next up, I want to talk about unconventional thinking. So the SEALs are great with unconventional thinking. What that means is essentially do things out of the box, but not, not just out of the box, but create a whole new box. So in order to do that, got to break some rules do things differently. My classic uh, fun story around this is my SEAL teammate, Tommy Dietz, was over in the first Gulf War. He had the mission called Operation Deception, where we were going to trick Saddam Hussein into thinking that we were doing an amphibious assault along his beach line. And, um, and so we had a SEAL platoon over there with Tommy in charge, and they were going to swim tons, you know, literally probably not tons, but like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of C4 into the beach and blow it up. And then the, you know, the boats were going to rake the shoreline and bombard it. And it was going to be like a big show. And then we're going to, and the whole thing worked actually. So when, when this was pulled off, you know, they diverted a few Iraqi army divisions over to that, you know, thinking that they were going to, you know, they were getting evaded when it was just a big trick. But they, um, the SEALs were like, how are we going to swim all of this ammo to shore. Like it, the, the, the water is 105 degrees or is super hot and there's tons of sharks around. They're thinking this is not such a good idea to swim this ashore. And one of the junior seals from San Diego goes, Hey, why don't we use boogie boards? Right now that's an out of the box, like a new box. Like why would you, who, nobody's ever thought about using boogie boards in the seals before. What a great idea. And so they sent a request back to HQ and said, hey, we need a bunch of blacked out boogie boards. And, you know, at first people were like, what the F are you guys doing over there? You're supposed to be fighting a war and you're boogie boarding. And they're like, no, 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 this is what we're going to use them for. And they're like, ah, good idea. That's how innovation comes a lot of times from the most junior guy. So you want to break rules and be unconventional. Don't do things in the same pattern all the time. Figure out new ways to do things. Try new iterations on your products and services. Try you know, different patterns or processes, uh, you know, for hiring and, you know, firing and for communicating. And that's what we're doing in our business all the time, just trying different new things. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't, but you create the mindset of being unconventional, unconventional, doing things different and breaking things. So you want to break rules that essentially represent weak patterns of behavior, outdated models of thinking, um, that might now be hampering your performance and things are changing all the time. So this is a great time to start thinking how to, you know, break some rules and be unconventional just because it's done one way, you know, for a long period of time or works for other people doesn't mean that's how you should do it. Take a look at new ways. You want to break rules that might blind you to blind you to other options, you know, so we get into this. This is back to the biases that I spoke about. How can you use uh, new thinking, new ideas, you know, I'm reminded of Triz, which is the um, the Russian kind of science of invention. And, and Triz says, okay, if you want to break some rules and think differently, then start to look at things from different perspectives. And so they'll look at 
a problem from reverse engineering it. They'll look at a problem upside down. They'll look at a problem from a, uh, compare it to a similar problem in a completely different domain, like a different environment or different, you know, like you can look at a technical problem from a biological perspective or a biological problem from a technical perspective. You can look at from, you know, you can look at a problem on earth from, from the point of view of underwater or fluidic space. And it's just amazing, really, really cool way to think about how to uh, break some rules and overcome some blind spots. And of course you want to break rules that are outdated or impractical or even unethical in our world. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of the ways, a lot of countries are, are operating out of a, you know, earlier stage of development and their rules are, you know, just flat out outdated and broken. And if you're in one of those countries, maybe you should think about doing something a little bit differently. And that's going to require you to break some of the patterns of your own thinking right now. I, I'm thinking about like if you grew up in Afghanistan and you're male and you've got very, very strong boo or bias around, you know, the role of women in the workplace and, um, and you know, religion, the role of, you know, all these things, which, you know, a lot of people are dying over. You just take a look at them and say, well, maybe there's a different way. Don't, you know, don't throw out the good, but toss out the bad that's not working and step into a more world centric point of view. And guess what? All sorts of new thinking will come to you and you'll be able to compete at a global stage and do really well. I've got some cool stories in the book about how uh, seals have broken the rules. Uh, my favorite is uh, Warren officer Jackson. Um, I call him Johnson actually in the book. Warren officer Johnson is actually Warren officer Jackson. And he was with us in Iraq. He worked for seal team one, and the commanding officer, SEAL Team 1, called him as asset reallocation specialist, which was a fun way of saying that he could just manifest stuff and you didn't really know how or where and you didn't ask questions. And what I saw over there, the, the SEAL Team 1 group had the SOCOM detachment, which was the forefather uh, of MARSOC, the Marine Special Ops Groups. And my job actually was to study the Marine Corps SOCOM detachment and to provide a research uh, paper back to the Navy uh, through NSW, Naval Special Warfare, as to the effectiveness of these guys in combat as to what, and to whether they could integrate and operate as a special operations force. This is before, like two years before the Marines were allowed or accepted into the special ops community. And um, anyway, so they didn't, we, nobody knew that Baghdad and Iraq was going to be such a volatile insurgent environment. I mean, this is 2004. We had just declared victory from the conventional war Everything looked good. And so when the Marines deployed over there with SEAL Team 1, they brought what they called IFAVs, which were you know, basically German fast attack vehicles that were not armored. They were built for you know, desert mobility. And the Americans had their Humvees, but the Humvees weren't hardened either. But so we started hardening our Humvees. And all of a sudden, because you know, the, the, the threat environment, as soon as the team got over there, was uh, obvious that we needed you know, more armor. So they, you know, we up armored all the Humvees, but the, the Marines went back and said, Hey, we need Humvees and they need to be armored. And of course the Marine Corps said, okay, that's, it's going to take you six months for us to get them over there. And SOCOM debt would have been home by then. Anyways, long story short, uh, that was unsustainable. That would have been a failure of their mission. And of course, SEAL team one wanted them to conduct their mission and to be helpful in the war on terror. And of course, we, you know, we, they were our teammates. And so he literally turned to Warren officer uh, Jackson and said, Jack, uh, Bart, you know, do your thing basically. And a few days later, Bart rolls through the gate 
with 10 Humvees and the SEALs start up armoring them. The Marines are like, holy cow, those are for us. And so they jump in the game and it became a great team building exercise where they all together up armored these new Humvees. Nobody asked where they came from, but Bart had traded with the National Guard unit over there. And man, you know, he got these up, these up order Humvees. That was breaking the rules. If he had gone through the normal chain of command or process to get, you know, Humvees for these people, just like the Marines were trying to do, you know, it wouldn't have happened. Now, I know you appreciate some soreness brought on by getting busy with a bruising workout, but doesn't it suck when excessive soreness throws us off our game, causing us to back down on our effort or even erasing those hard-won gains? That is why building recovery into our training plan is so important. Now, one way that I do that is with a simple-to-use recovery and healing tool called PowerDot. PowerDot is an electrical muscle stimulation device that forces type 2 muscle contractions, allowing you to increase muscle performance, speed up recovery, and also find a deeper mind-body connection. I've used complicated stim devices in the past to heal from my back injuries, but those were clumsy devices and not very effective to use for everyday use. The PowerDot, however, is a game changer because of its simplicity and the control through a well-designed mobile app. It's portable and powerful, making it usable for daily recovery or as needed for excessive soreness and to ward off potential overtraining injuries. PowerDot puts professional-level physical therapy into your gritty hands, saving valuable time and money. Now, the PowerDot team loves us at SealFit and Unbeatable Mind, and they have a generous offer for us. You can get 25% off the device when you go to PowerDot.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T.com. And use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, all one word, UNBEATABLEMIND, at the checkout. So again, receive 25% off of one of my favorite tools for achieving increased muscle performance and recovery by going to PowerDot.com and using that code UNBEATABLEMIND. Hoo-yah. So break some rules. Some cool rules to, to break is, you know, don't be a multitasker. Deep, go deep. Like my friend Kale Newport says, just do deep work. Learn how to say no to the bigger yes. Learn how to do less better. Uh, another uh, rule to break, this one's um, cool, is like you, you don't always have to be a nice guy. You know, everyone wants you to be gushy and nice, and that's great. But, you know, there's times where it's, you need to be, you know, intense and display some tough love. And, um, and we know, of course, that works in the military, but it's a skill that needs to be developed. And especially when it comes to communication protocols and the brief and de- debrief processes, you know, it's brutally honest, but it works. And um, a lot of organizations are just too sensitive to like really hurting people's feelings. And that means you lack resiliency. This isn't about feeling. This is about effectiveness and getting things done. And the more resilient the organization is, the more more of an idea meritocracy. It can be good. I love Ray Dalio's approach to the idea meritocracy and, and being brutally honest with communication. So it does work in the business world. It works for Ray. It works for the SEALs. More is better. Bigger is better. This is a great rule to break. Like the SEAL teams, we always operate in small units, even though the SEALs are, you know, we're like a 2,500 or 5,000 person organization. If you add all the um, support, maybe a little bit bigger, but um, we always operate in teams of two, four, eight, 
12, you know? So even though your organization might be large, think how to operate small. Smaller is better when it comes to team effectiveness. Rule to break. Uh, number four is fight fair. Nah, you don't have to. Nobody else is fighting fair. So you don't have to fight fair either, you know? Number uh, six, eat, here's nutrition. I kind of veer off here, but you know, this has to do with fueling. As an elite leader, way of the seal operator, you need to learn how to fuel your body more effectively. So you need to explore ketogenesis uh, and then eating less, also eating more frequently. And so get rid of the boo of having, you know, thinking you have to have three sit-down meals. I mean, I, I have an ample for my breakfast, quote unquote, but I drink it over the uh, course of a, 45 minutes to an hour while I'm training. And then, um, you know, I'll snack and have, you know, high protein and fat type things, you know, and some carbohydrates stuff throughout the day. And, you know, often we'll have one meal where I sit down with my wife and, and family in the evening. Um, so you want to turn your body into a, a, a diesel engine that can crank into high performance when you need to, where um, you're intermittent fasting and eating less food and eating more fat and really um, developing the, the ability to, to create ketones and, and live off those ketones and with a high state of energy and alertness. Super amazing. Uh, I have more information about this in eight weeks of SealFit. And at SealFit, we actually have a program, uh, six weeks to perf uh, performance uh, coming out that will we'll, um, really dig into nutrition and physical training. Anyway, so enough on that. There's a few more uh, that I talk about in the book, but let me move on. So I mentioned earlier that we want to be able to move fast. You have to think in the way the SEAL means that we execute with velocity and agility, velocity and agility. So speed, right? Speed. How do we do things faster, better? One of the best ways to do that is to trust those who are closest to the information. You know, the strategic corporal or the SEAL in the field has the information and to empower those individuals who are closest to the ground level truth to make good decisions. So in order to do this, we have to be a principle-based organization and apply standard operating procedures. So all the, the, the basic processes are standardized checklists and, um, you know, information flows and periodicity of communications and battle rhythm, all that, those are standardized the how, but then, you know, the, the why is very clear of what your objectives are and what the vision is for success. And then you let those closest to the, the action make the decisions, right? And they'll be held accountable for bad decisions, but uh, chances are they'll surprise you. So learn to trust those in the field and to communicate them with them frequently as possible, at least once a day to get that aligning narrative and um, some of the things we'll talk about more in the chapter on building elite teams. This allows us to, to activate our OODA loop in a manner we call, in the book, I call it shoot, move, and communicate. So SEALs are taught, you know, if you're in a firefight, you know, lay down some lead, but don't stay where you're at. You got laid on the lead and then you find a, a new position, you move to that new position, and then you communicate. You know, you communicate across with your team, you communicate up your chain of command, uh, so you're always, and this is like real time, you're always shooting, moving, and communicating and activating what we call the OODA loop. The OODA loop was Colonel Boyd's innovation around how we make, take action in real time. And that is the, um, how we observe what's happening. Then we orient ourselves to it. We make a decision and we act. So we shoot, communicate, shoot, move, and communicate. The shoot is the action. Then we activate the OODA loop. We observe 
the effect of our shooting at the target and think about this in the business sense, shooting is launching a product line or starting that new business or, you know, taking some powerful action. And then you observe how it lands. You know, what's the feedback? You know, what are the metrics telling you? Then you reorient. That means you might have to change some things. And for the SEALs, you change your location. And then you make another decision. Okay, I'm going to now engage this new target. Okay, there we go. Lay down the lead. That's the action. And then we communicate constantly up and down and uh, through the chain of command, as well as, obviously, your teammates and your subordinates. So there's a lot packed into that chapter I know I went through it fairly rapidly, but uh, it's it's a powerful, powerful chapter, powerful concepts, and I have some exercises on how you can activate your radar, your Cooper Cullis system, uh, develop your own OODA loop for yourself and your team. So thanks for listening. That's it for this uh, session of the solo cast on the way of the seal. Uh, principle number eight, think offense all the time. Uh, In the next session, we'll get into how we train the way of the SEAL, and we'll finish off with building an elite team. Thank you so much for your attention today, and uh, stay focused, train hard, and get offensive mindset. Hooyah. Divine out. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UDT. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.